All right, welcome everyone. Thank you for being here today. This is our second to last live Q&A for Regenerative Soil this session. So thank you for all being here. James, Brandon, Brett, Alex. It's great to see you all. Jeremy, Steve, Nicole, Leslie. Thank you all for being here. So we'll give everyone a minute or two to arrive and then we'll dive right in. How is everyone doing? Everyone good? Feel free to click down below in the chat or give a thumbs up. I love that. I love that. Yeah. Let folks know where you're, you're zooming in from. Got mine. Tianchi. Now I've started the, the green drink. I'm talking to them actually about doing our future. It'd be awesome to have everyone get a sample of athletic greens with every goodie bag. That's what I'm thinking. For someone like me where absorption is like my number one issue, it's good stuff. So I'm, I'm going to try to get, I'm, I'm trying to gather samples right now, um, or at least a list of samples before I approach them <laughs> um, as I finish up this course um to to launch our future next because that's really the big thing i mean the advanced permaculture student is starting on monday uh that's like the big thing that's happening this week but the next big thing after that is our future which is a free uh online event that everyone's invited to it's gonna be a lot of fun and uh yeah there's even a there, there's goodie bag levels there's a digital goodie bag level physical goodie bag level and uh, it's gonna be a lot of fun if uh, if you haven't been last year that was a lot of fun too all right, so we, we're looking good. All right, Hawaii, Netherlands, West Virginia, California, New Mexico. Wow, you guys are amazing. So we're, we're spread all over the world, but we're united in regenerative soil. Yeah. All right, so Today, we're talking about a subject that I kept kind of uh, preparing us for and mentioning and uh, had all these kind of um, had all this preamble for because I really wanted us to understand that there's no hard and fast like rules here um, because A, soil remediation is new and B, every site is unique like every site is unique. Even if you've got all the factors, even if it's the same amount, your climate could be different. You could have different soil minerals that are of course affecting things, right? Remember, if, if there's antagonism of this thing, then that might prevent that cycle from happening. And that it all, and, and, and when we're talking about glyphosate or something like glyphosate, there's a chain reaction between the microbes. It's not just the case that it's like, oh, and miracle microbe one will just fix everything in a day. No, it's actually like uh, uh, this chain reaction of effect and transformation that eventually turns things into substances that are bioavailable and become food for organisms. So it's, it's, it's a road, just like with breaking down plastics, it's a road. Um, at first, they, they, uh, the microbes work on the binders, and then they turn it into these pellets. That's why there's these microplastics and these pellet plastics everywhere in the ocean, because they're literally 
eating around those pellets and eating the binders that are binding them together and turning them back, not into perfect pellets, but into small pieces, flattened pieces quite often um, and fragments of pieces. And then it's on to another layer of microbes to do their work. And then they break it down to a smaller size. And because they're external digestion, this makes sense. They're not taking it inside them, digesting it, and then excreting it as something brand new and magic. No, it's microbes. So it's external digestion. They're releasing uh, digestive acids. They're releasing organic acids. They're releasing stuff to break things down. And they're absorbing what they can. So, so, and sometimes they, they do absorb things that are harmful for them. No doubt. That's why there's, you know, antibacterials, antimicrobials produced by other microbes. Right. Um, and so, and, and, and so we, we have to realize that it's this consistent, um, process and as testing gets better, we're starting to find things in places that are less than exciting. Um, like they started testing breast milk at a certain point and then realized, oh, wow, there's plastics and PCBs and uh, BPA and all these endocrine disruptors, like hormone disruptors, you know, the plastics, the phthalates, the BPA, and then all the other BPA like uh, cousins. Um, they're all endocrine disruptors. You've probably heard about this environmental working group has been long fighting for many, many years to remove this from the food, remove this from the water. And uh, it's, it's a hard road. So, um, so when we started testing for all these things, we started re realizing like how bad it could be. And now we're seeing like fertility rates plummet. We're seeing all these other things happen and people are trying to, pinpointed at different things. And uh, it's probably a combination of everything, of course, but uh, remediation is really important. And we actually can cleanse soil way easier than we can cleanse a human body. I was interviewing one of the people that did the original testing to prove that lead and lead exposure was linked to violence. And as lead was removed from the blood of the population, as regulations came in to, to, to remove lead paint and lead based gasoline you had or lead-based fuels you had a drop in violence correlative then there's a there's that the heavy metals have um damaging effect on um, cognitive abilities and so with the soil it's pretty miraculous because with people it takes generations we can never fully cleanse our bodies is what i learned in that interview and that's why I have inherited PCB and lead and DDT from my mom. And then it goes on and on and on. And so it's, it's really critical. It's just really critical that we figure this out uh, because if it's in the food and the water and the air, if we can fix it there, then we don't have to have it go into our bodies, have ourselves be the filters. Um, and, and we can, we can have healthy families, healthy futures. So it's, it's really serious um, and it's really important because of that, that we, that we um, 
talk about it responsibly and have things open-ended so that people are testing before and after or throughout, you know, the process and to make sure we know where these things are going, what they're turning into. And at the end of the day, we can sleep well at night knowing the food that I'm pulling out of there is not just safe. It's the, it's, it's, it's like medicine. It's such good food. It's like medicine. Um, and you know, I'd like to say it is medicine, not a doctor though. Right. (laughs) Uh, all right. Let me, uh, pull up your questions. Oh, it's so great to have you all here. Ildewild. That is such a cool name, Leslie, for a location to live in. I live in the Ildewilds. Love that. Awesome. So, but, but I, I must admit, I love where I live um, right now too. Uh, it is the rivers here. I mean, to be able to just go down the street and all my boys and I jump in the river and, and it's just free. It's, it's pretty amazing. And we know it's clean and safe because they're constantly testing here. This is one of the pride things. Uh, they love the rivers here and uh, it's amazing. So, so, so yeah, no, I, yeah, away from my time up here on the mountain. That's amazing. It's probably idyllic, idyllic, <laughs> ideally idyllic. Um, I'm an English major. Got to forgive me vocabulary. I just love words. But uh, <laughs> so I really appreciate you all uh, being here and being part of this process. I know that we're coming to an end. Next week is it's. Next week, I'm going to be tying a lot of things together. It's not just your plans. It's actually the crowning pieces on a lot of ideas and concepts that I tie them together. You'll understand when we go through it. Like there are things that you wouldn't have held on to if I had told you in the mineral stage, if I tell you now that you've been thinking about, mm, I need calcium, mm, I need this. It will, because you've tied it to your processes, you're going to see the synergies and antagonisms more clearly. And then there's uh, coherence. Um, there, there's a bunch of concepts that are gonna tie everything together. This is a, both a review and also another level. So it's not just a, a review thing, don't skip it. <laughs> if, if, if next week you're thinking, oh, I, I got my seed, my, my soil plan in, my seeds are in the ground this year. I don't really care about like a certification or something like that. Uh, no, um, this is where I tie it all together and actually push things a lot further. So we talk about paramagnetism. We talk about soil coherence. We talk about all these different methodologies and systems together over time as strategies. And so, and then what we're actually expecting to see, like, what, what, what results should we expect? And even we talk about what the ideal levels for soils are. So there's a lot next week. So it's not a fluff week. It's not something I would skip. Um, it's something that is going to tie everything together for you. It's going to make you remember critical pieces and it's going to fit them together in that, that overlapping you know, image I create of those, those five different elements 
Um, and then of course they're bundles of elements, you know, air, you know, and water are in one, but, but it's those, those leaves, those five leaves overlapping to create regenerative soil. There's there, I'm going to show you some final pieces to that, uh, that are going to tie it together and show why that's so powerful. So it's a bit of a review, but it's really an, uh, an uplift and a focusing and, uh, uh, catalyzing of a lot of these concepts into your action plan, <laughs> which is so great because <laughs> while that's all happening, we're forming your final plans. And then you're going to send them to me and we're going to go over them and you can share them with the class as well. And uh, I, 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 you could do either. I've done, I've done, sometimes I don't post in both places. Sometimes I just email you the answer. So and now we have many places to post these things in the course, on the circle, in the Facebook, in my email. Uh, please just email them to me at matt at the permaculturestudent.com. And I will go over them. Uh, it will take a little bit. My, 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 my boys are you know, in theater and there's productions happening, all these different things. My wife's finally returning home. Gotta clean up the house. Um, <laughs> So um, just reality. Uh, so yeah, give me a couple of weeks to, to work on those. But luckily, it's, it's fall. It's basically winter, almost. Um, so things are obviously slowing down for many people, gives us some more wiggle room and time. So hopefully that overlap works well for you. But the other side of the world, you're like, Matt, this is the time. Maybe mention that when you when you say that. So, but you you know what I mean. So, make some priority happen for you. Um, if there's a crunch or something like that, I, I appreciate that. I appreciate that a lot. So, so that's what's happening. It's not just a, a fluff review week. It's it's a critical week. It's going to help solidify and cement so many of the concepts that will help you navigate and be fluid with a lot of the test results a lot of the observations, and a lot of the strategies and methodologies that you're going to be using and you're going to be considering as you make your plans. So I'm really excited about it. This is uh, the first time we've done this. Um, it's a new certification. You're going to be the first folks to get this certification. I'm going to be giving you extensive feedback, um, potentially. I mean, you could be, I mean, I this is always the test of how well I've done things because if I've done a really good job teaching, I, I get to just praise you. I get to be like, you did it, you know? Uh, but potentially I could be giving you extensive feedback. Um, uh, if you, maybe you missed some things, if, if certain things didn't reach, catch your attention again, this is my fault. <laughs> All right. I mean, I'm the teacher. And so I really want to know how, good of a job I've done, and then give you back the feedback you need. And, and it could be extensive. It could be half a page. You know what I mean? Uh, and, and as you see, some of these things are not um, extensive, like they're, they're rubrics. They're, 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 they're set out in such a way that you could be doing bullet points. So it's fast. You could be creating a comprehensive thing because you've got the concepts now. you get got the names for things now. you get the timing, right? So... This could be really, really powerful for you. At the same time, um, this is an opportunity to anything that not well understood will come to the fore and I'll be able to help. And because this course is 
lifetime access. Please don't take any offense if I'm correcting you or if I'm saying, please review this other video. This is a lifetime community. There's no rush. There's no pressure for you to get your certification immediately. Um, this is a new certification. It's brand new, right? You know? So, so there, there's not like a waiting audience being like, well, now you've got your certification. We now can accept you. You know what I mean? Um, and, and, and yeah, it'll become more valuable over time as I add all these other elements to it. And, you know, I mean, even as it stands, I think it's very valuable, but, but what I'm trying to say, I'm trying to remove the pressure, you know, I don't want you to feel this immense because this is the thing that I saw with, and maybe I'm not talking to your generation, you know, cause we got a lot of different people in here, but as a school teacher, I saw these kids beat themselves up and like, I see it in my other courses. People get so much pressure. They get so freaked out. It's okay. You're permanently here. This is a community. You're not being judged. You're not being kicked out. This is not like, you know what I mean? These are, th this is to help you. You know what I mean? To check your understanding. Um, I know people get test anxiety. So I, I just want to like remove all that. This is, this is all good. <laughs> There's no consequences. There's unlimited tries, right? Okay, so I, I give you a bunch of feedback back. And you're like, you know what, Matt? I don't even understand your feedback. Well, I, I think that's gonna be the subject of the live Q&A that week, right? That's gonna be the subject of a follow-up Q&A if we need to have it. I wanna make sure that everyone gets it, that everyone's included. Because like I keep saying, the actions, they're not that hard. When we break it down into a rubric and it's bullet points, you're going to be able to see it way easier. It's not that hard. The, the, the memorizing all the data, all the interconnections. There's a reason why I don't do what Harriet Mila does and go into the mitochondria and the nuclei of the cell. And then, then the, I, it's overwhelming. But when we actually, okay, I admit I created a version of it that goes that far. And then I, I edited it out because I saw, I was like, oh my word, it's like a black hole of vocabulary and information. And then it creates, because it's so complex, it starts to create um, uncertainty. And you're like, oh, well, where, where did the magnesium go? And let's trace that. And mm -mm, mm -mm. it's best <laughs> to not, uh, from what I've seen, um, to focus on the actions the simple actions, methods, and, 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 and connect them to the macro world. So it's kind of a reverse of that. So, and, and instead of going into the, 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 the cell so far and so deep, like Harriet does, I go to the plan expression and, the, and, and the, the macro result. So we're taking macro actions, passing them through the filter of the soil, and doing a plant interaction, showing the net result of a plant reaction and, and, um, and interactions, uh, and then going up to the macro result. So that's why I did that as well, so that we would kind of keep our, our, our deck clear and our minds more, because I actually think that there's a fundamental power in keeping things representationally um, symbolic. Uh, when we're dealing like, like names for things like um, compost or like, instead of 
thinking of it as all the microbes uh, individually. You know what I mean? This is what our brains naturally do. And so I've tried to do that with the way we manage our, our methods and strategies and timing. I'm really excited about it. Uh, this is how I think about it. Um, you probably have done things different ways, and uh, I would love some feedback as well on it. Um, if there's if there's things that you want to add to it, and we could do that as well. I'm the illustrator. I'm the designer for all of this. So adaptability is what it's all about, um, especially in this modern day and age, uh, when when technologies, testing, and results are so dynamically changing. I mean, think about the fact that um, they basically took this beautiful sculpture of the tree of life and threw it on the ground, just shattered it. And it's like, oh, how do these microbes, you know, get their information? It's like horizontal gene transfer is happening like crazy. It's like, whoa, the bacteria, that's how they're doing it? Whoa. And so, yeah, I really want to test, though, and show that um, that the microbes, the IMOs are winning or the IMOs are like hybridized. Like, I want to see what's going on and prove it. You know what I mean? It's like, cause I could, I'm a creative guy. I could spin a bunch of possibilities and potentialities and I'm, and I know you could too. And so we've really in this course opened up uh, a beautiful um, box of potential and possibilities. And uh, I'm really excited for where it has led us. But with this week, this is one of those spaces where we're right at the edge. And if we're not too careful, we get too confident, a little too cocky, we're going to fall off that edge. Um, and because it's so serious, they're toxins. These are the things that ruin not just a time period in people's lives, but can ruin generations of lives. Agent Orange is still in the blood of people, you know, in uh, in Cambodia and in Vietnam, and DDT is still in our blood. PCBs are still in all of our blood in America. I I don't know about all the other countries and such, but um, from the studies I've read, so we need to recognize and respect the space. And I'm just putting up these boundaries and trying to get us to recognize them to be safe. Uh, because I carry some responsibility passing on this information, these how-tos. And uh, I, I've, I've seen some of the comments. Some of the comments are, wow, this is expensive. Wow, that's a lot of fish meal. Wow, this is that and the other. But remember two things. When they're doing remediation studies, they're going to where it's bad. They're not going to where it's like sort of bad or our version of bad. It's bad at an academic level that a global paper would get published and get promoted and get shared around. They, they want the, the fireworks. This is the only way they get tenure and, and like manage to hold on to their position in academia. My brother's in academia. I, I feel bad for those folks. Um, uh, though, though there are examples of people like Dr. James uh, White who are, who are joyously teaching students and what, what, I'm so grateful for him. Um, and then also examples like Olivia Husson who's like an independent scientist that's paid by the state to just do what he does. But, but he's also, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard and complicated. He has to do what he's told at times too. Um, 
so I, I, I really just want to take responsibility and do the right thing and, and, and warn people properly about how you can't look at these things, you know, and just do them and expect them to be good. We have to test them at the look at a deep level. And when we have to continuously test and maybe over time we have to improve testing so that we have a more sophisticated view of where these things are going. All right. So, uh, cause volatizing means it's going somewhere on the wind. All right, here we go. Is there a calendar somewhere with what actions amendments you can do apply on weather? Uh, based on weather. So like rain, the rainy season. Hmm. Nicole, I think you're here. Can you tell me a little bit more about this? Just a little confused and maybe uh, excited to get the ball rolling, but heading into winter, trying to get a grip on how to plan for what and when in the spring. I'm getting my should my soil audio correct my soil tested in the next two weeks and we'll have the info of what to implement, but a little stuck on what, when, and based on whether what will or won't work. So everyone's area is different. Um, if you're connected to the local homesteading and farming community in your area, you're going to want to be planting with their earliest cover crops going in. Uh, and every region, I mean, I could say a zone and say a time frame. There's a bunch of wiggle room in that. I could, uh, the people are at different altitudes, it affects that. Find out, talk, there's an opportunity to talk to your neighbors um, in your community and, and, and all that. But when they're doing their cover crops, because it's like if you're headed into winter, I'm doing, I'm headed into winter, I'm doing a cover crop. We've had some cold days, but it heats back up and, and the cover crop is still growing. It just pauses and then grows and then pauses. And so I'm, I'm growing my cover crop into the winter, knowing that it probably will get a hard frost and die. And that's okay. And then as soon as it starts to warm up, um, or a month before then, uh, I'm going to be talking to people and paying attention to when people are doing starts in the area, you join a few uh, local garden groups, um, or, or get in contact with farmers, go to the farmer's market. Um, those kinds of things look when the farmer's market starts and then go back a month, right? There's all these different strategies. <coughs> and, it, and it's going to really depend on your area um, to get it locked in at the what's best. And if you're in the foothills, it may change hill to hill. That's the way it was for me in California. We would have... Uh, that olive orchard, uh, Jenny, uh, Jenny's olive orchard would be getting crazy winds or they would be getting no rain and we'd be getting rain and just really weird. Uh, and it's just the shape of the land. All right. Hey, Matt, I, I'm, uh, I am here. Do you want me to just comment on that or no? Sure. Yeah. So my thought was, um, we're basically zone four, um, cold, tall, cold, temperate. It can range though. Like I had 70 last week and I'm going to have 18 tonight. So, uh, this time of year is crazy. I just kind of, I put everything to bed, planted my garlic. I'm good to go. 
I'm thinking the calendar wise for the spring, maybe something like you said, we do have a rainy season. Not everybody does, but I was wondering like, what should you try to apply or get done before the rains or, and, or what should you do right after the rains? Kind of more of a general thing, not um, super specific or I just didn't know if there was an opportunity to create a calendar sort of generalized, knowing there'd be flexibility around it, if that would be a value. Yeah. So, I mean, it's going to depend on what you're planting. It's going to depend on your um, like the timing for these things. Cause it, if it's the rainy season begins before, like if the rainy season ends your winter and turns your snow melt into rivers, right. That's kind of what it is in New Hampshire. Uh, you know what I mean? Do you know? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So it's kind of dismal, right? And so you get like ramps, the garlics, the onion grasses, um, the bulb plants come up first. I would say. I would say when those things are happening, that's the moment of decomposition. And then I would be applying the microbes to guide that. And does that make sense? So I would be preparing probably a month before. And there's a variety of ways to prepare. If you're like, Matt, I don't have compost, order that bag of compost from Catalyst Bio Amendments. It's a teeny bit, but guess what? That's all you need to do a compost tea. And because you don't yeah, have a so big you're site, saying you know what you're saying like maybe do it you're saying maybe do it like in a garage where it doesn't freeze and kind of get it rolling ahead of time yeah yeah the, the, and and that may not work out for everyone i mean if you're on a farm scale right or you're on a homestead scale homestead okay can you get uh, a few truckfuls uh truckloads of, of manure I'm working on it. I don't have any organic sources or just people that don't use dewormer yet. Yeah. And so like this last year, I've really gotten serious and I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to get some for next spring, but I don't have a guaranteed source yet. You kind of got to go up into the foothills, into the areas where it's a, it's a coin flip where people are just not doing it because they just, meh, I'm not going to do that. Or they're like, oh no, yeah, of course I use that. And they use way too much. So that's kind of what I saw on the California foothills. Um, you could find organic hay, but they would never call it that. Um, right. Right. I, I, I sigh a bunch too. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. So. All right. A few different things. Quatamuk would, would bend the rules. So my friend Quatamuk, right. The EM guy. He's trained EM right. to eat like the pesticides, and that makes sense. Um, and I, I, what you would do is like you would make bokashi, or you would train the biology on a sample amount, and get it like really going hard and overpowering it. So in other words, enough nitrogen, enough sugars pairing with that fuel source, uh, um, and then he would take stuff that was subpar like straw that wasn't organic and he would process that knowing that there's a biological pathway 
trusting that someone in the consortium in the EM is, is, is able to take it out. Um, I know that they eat petrochemicals and I want to prove that those specific microbes that Catherine's organization talks about eating glyphosate and processing it are in EM or in Johnson Sioux or, you know what I mean? I want to be like, look, look, just do it. It's in all the forms of compost. Wouldn't that be great? So, so I, I want to do all that work, but, but I would right when the crocuses are coming out, you got crocuses, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the climate I grew up in. So uh, I grew up in Vermont, New Hampshire and Connecticut. So when the crocuses are coming out, there's an opportunity to spray decomposition um, microbes onto the so saprophytes uh, through EM or compost tea or bokashi, but you're spraying them on and tarping it, black tarp, and that will just zap it. And then you can peel it off, uncover a furrow, plant the seeds in, cover it, put the tarp on for, and water it, and then put the tarp back on for like two to three days, maybe five days, and then remove it and time has elapsed. You volatized it, well, you, you smothered it and, and decomposed it right for like seven to 10 days. It's been two weeks of time. Now you're like, it's spring. You know what I mean? The, the, those two weeks in spring, depending on what, I mean, in New York, that's the only spring you get. Two weeks, summer's hitting you in the face. <laughs> but, 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 but that's what I would do. And, and again, right? New York spring is like, and in some areas they have a longer spring. So it really depends on where you are, but does that make any sense? Does that, does that kind of work? Yeah, no, I, I got what you're saying. And, um, you know, it's just the other thing sometimes is confusing here because we get so much rain. It's like, I, I kind of, I've been hesitant to do the compost tea thing. Um, just because I'm like, oh my gosh, it's going to rain every day or every other day. So, um, oh, you know what? I guess in a, your just position, a novice question. I know what to do. So the thing to do in your position is to first create a home for your microbes. It's the same kind of condition that you would deal with in Missouri, where uh, water just flows through everything, or in Florida, where it's just sand. You're going to supercharge biochar. So you're going to have biochar, you're going to have compost that you're adding biochar to. Um, and then when you're doing your teas, I mean, it, it all depends on what modalities you can do when. But to just start off, I would be like making a compost tea. Like if I had no time, I'm like, you know what, next week, Colin Keisha, I'm getting a little shipment uh, of overnighted of compost. I have to start now. I'm taking the compost tea, putting it in a 55 gallon brewer. It's brewing. It's uh, the balanced fungal bacterial recipe from the, 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 the textbook. And then I'm putting it, I'm soaking biochar in it. And then I'm taking that biochar and as I'm ripping, I'm putting it in those rips. And I'm like, that's how I would do it. Um, especially in like a rip where it's like a, a line of biochar because they're going to help each other reinforce, catch each other as, 
everyone, if someone comes out of here, it gets caught on here. And, and it's also going to create, if you do it on contour, it's going to create an interference layer at the perpendicular point of all water flow, filtering it microbially. And, 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 and over time, just causing an incredible reaction within the soil without doing any kind of like physical earthworks above it. So that's what, that's what I would do. This floor is creepy. Yeah, that sounds great. I don't want to take the whole class, but that's really helpful. Thank you. Awesome. Awesome. A whole class. Uh, are you talking about like the advanced permaculture student online? For this class no i didn't want to take up today's class in terms of oh. time <laughs> got confused there i'm sorry about that are you you know what it's so good to talk to you it's so good to to be able to work out the details because and this is why i, I started this you know talk with so much preamble nicole is because there's so many shades and nuances that we gotta like talk about but I can't like just give a one size fits all. We have to talk about it. So people develop that lens themselves and they're like, oh, on my side, it's actually a combination of, of Bob and Larry and, and a little bit of Helen's sight. And, and for me, I'm gonna have to do this faster. You know what I mean? So it's, it's really useful. It's really powerful. And you're really helping 10X the people that are here in the, uh, right now. I mean, there's over 200 people that I get emails every time I do the live afterwards. They're like, when's the, when's the replay? Because it means so much. And so those of you who have been here every single time, the entire time coming, asking questions, the rest of the class, I'm just gonna say it for them, thank you. Because you are making it richer for them and they're watching and they're, they're waiting for it. So thank you. Appreciate it. Awesome. Ah, oh, yeah, no, I really appreciate it. And people have said a few different times that I'm teaching in an unconventional way. It's what I started. So I didn't do the advanced permaculture student online for a very long time because I felt in my heart of hearts that a, if I spoke out about as a teacher trained in education, if I spoke out about what I saw, I did have to put up or shut up and people were going to attack me if I didn't do it right. And so I gathered everyone in. <laughs> and that's why I have so many educators in that course, because I was like, you know what, it's wrong to just do a design. We got to reward the actual actions and, and educators know this. Um, it's application. It, it's discussing it. It's actually trying to work this out in real, the real world that it becomes, Ooh, this is harder. Um, and it's the, that's when the real learning begins. That's what I care about. So, so thank you. You really are facilitating that in this course. Um, and, and, and that's why, I don't know if you guys feel like this course is different um, in this regard, but I'm always trying to recreate the classroom because that's where I thrived. I loved the classroom. I loved interacting. I loved talking about all these things. Um, and I taught adults, I taught college, I taught primarily high school, um, but then I also taught K through 12 for several years. So I love it. All right, here we go. <laughs> Continuing. 
I've, I've never done soil tests. My farm has 60 head of cattle and come spring, depending on twins and triplets, 240 head of lamb, sheep. Woo! 60. It was farmed that way for 15 years. I don't know if they're saying they're 60 or not. Um, if you are 60 and doing this, you are awesome. Um, because that, that means you're carrying on a legacy, uh, likely. And I just want to like, thank you for doing this. And if you're new to this, if, you, if you're, y you are a leader in the field. So I just want to like honor you on all levels for the work you're doing. Um, we need more and more people with, with animals on the land now than ever. Uh, the whole importation thing, the whole supply chain thing problem. I mean, the future is arbitrage locally again. The future is people doing herd shares and people sharing, uh, uh, you know, animals that they're, they're, they're harvesting so that they can all take all of the animal home and use all of it. Uh, there's, or, or as much as they legally can, you know what I mean? Um, and so thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I can't say it enough. You're holding a line that must be held. So, um, thank you, Jeffrey. Uh, we love and appreciate people like you. It was farmed that way for 15 years. The farm was total 200 acres and out of 22, uh, live, uh, 22 was for livestock. Prior to that, it was hay potato farm. Now fast forward 45 years, the last 22 years was idle with minor upkeep grazing that wasn't abusing the land. Okay, I had someone come in uh, about three years ago and clean about half of the fence line of about eight acres. I'm told not to use Roundup and to my demise, they use glyphosate, which is Roundup. Oh man. They said, sorry, I didn't know the difference. There's a lot to that. I won't get into it but there's a desire for the people that use pesticides to like spray the pesticides in the face of the people who don't want pesticides. And I mean, quite literally, um, it's happened to several people I know personally, and they've had um, brain damage and all these kinds of things happen. So they may say they don't know the difference, um, but be, please be very careful um, around people who are aggressive and also pesticide people because they only have to just mention your name to the wrong people and then those people can come to your house and, and, and start spraying and spray you by accidentally. I know it sounds crazy. Forgive me if that sounds out of character for me to say, but this has happened to people I know and love. Um, people who are medical doctors. So be very careful with what you say and who you say and the whole pesticide side of things. It's really quite dangerous. Um, so we can fix this. The property can be fixed. The land can come back. No doubt, no problem. Um, I just get like, Nervous <laughs> when, when, when people do those kinds of things, when they're like, oh, no, I'm sorry. I didn't notice. It's radar. Um, so, so, yeah. I would, there are, there are several companies that test for glyphosate concentration now. It's a wonderful thing that they do this. 
Um, they even test for it in people's urine. Um, so th this is a, an important uh, thing that's, that's happening. I would be adding compost tea. I would be adding EM. I would be doing that every other day for a month and then let it sit and ferment for a few weeks and let the rains kind of like wash things out and like process and then do that process again. Um, and then maybe, maybe at the end of the season or maybe after, I, I mean, I really just, the testing following up issue is very difficult to know when. Luckily, these tests are usually like 50 to $100 maximum. Sometimes they can be more. But, um, but, but yeah, I would be testing. I'd be doing it in this like off and on thing so that I was sure that it wasn't like the microbes like embodying it. And then as I left and let things dry out and, and, uh, and become more natural, then it gets released again. This is really critical. That's what I said about like testing and, 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 and trickiness. It's like, if they're the black box, if the bacteria is the black box and they're embodying things, and then uh, just like uh, if things, certain things get adsorbed and then later on something solubilizes the partner of that, like the phosphorus gets solubilized. Oh, well, the other half of that equation of that phosphate, maybe it's lead um, is now released. So, and yes, they could perform pyromorphite crystal if those elements are there in, in large enough amounts, but it's about the ratios. So, so, so yeah, I would, I would be doing compost tea. I'd be doing EM and, and, and testing. And then I would be doing the way, all right. So testing the way it works is you take multiple samples from like a grid across the landscape. And then you put it into one bucket and then mix it thoroughly and then run it through one of the. So I've got different screen sizes and I'm going to be, I'm going to be demonstrating this, of course, but um, I wanted to finish the lecture components first uh, at the, at the level that I feel that they should be at. And that's why I've been, you know, that's why I've been saying I'm going to double back and redo the first few weeks of the course because I really want things to be at the level that I, I currently am at. Uh, I really appreciate um, you all, you know, being part of that process too. Uh, I feel like, you know, I haven't filmed a, a course like this uh, at this level. Well, the Advanced Permaculture Student Online was certainly like at a high level. It was five years ago. And then I went away for two years, the past two years, and basically became a hermit. Um, so getting my like legs back again in a way was really necessary for me. Uh, and so I, I'm going to go back and make those first videos like really rock and B-roll videos and all that. And then I'm also going to add tons of how-to to the course. And then we're going to be adding the microscopy course, of course, which is, for me, that's like my candy. Like that's going to be so much fun. And because there's no like time thing on it, I'm going to like go into detail. I want like close-ups, I want the slides and the, and the dropper. I want you to see it all. I really want it to be the nicest 
microscopy training, visually, audio, thoroughness wise, ever. Because there's plenty of things on how to set up a slide, plenty of things on even from Elaine Ingham. She talks to people how to do soil sampling, how to set up slides, all on YouTube. So it's, it's, I want to do it at a level that's very the way I do things, you know what I mean? And, and, and tie in Elaine's methods, but also so what, what Catherine's doing and also show what the universities and the professionals are doing. Um, it would be super cool. I think Michael is here. It'd be super cool uh, if Michael Stangle, um, I know that they've have those wonderful videos on YouTube of them demonstrating their methods, but um, maybe talked about their business and like the, the, how they're using all these different things and how, how, how they're useful. That would be really cool um, to have that shared with the rest of the class. Because a lot of people in the class are like, well, how would I use this competitively? How would this inform action, you know, uh, microscope, you know, wise, like how, you know what I mean? And I'm gonna be demonstrating that, but you've been doing it professionally for several years. So I would love to highlight that. Uh, and, and, and honor you and have everyone else uh, honor you. So Michael, keep that in mind. Um, uh, and I'm sure other people have noticed your work as well. So, um, but yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to, to really get into uh, doing things at, at that level. And also demonstrating the different tiers of my microscope. And then of course, after that, the genetic barcoding identification. I mean, for me at first, it's just going to be cataloging and being like, oh, this is what compost tea has. This is what happens with the compost before you put it in the compost tea. This is what happens at 12 hours. This is what happens at 24 hours. This is what happens at 48 hours. This is what happens when you leave it at 68 hours. You know, they say it, it's no longer, it's no longer good at 68 hours, right? Right. What happens then? What's not good mean? So I, 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 I want to know, like in specific, all the readouts from all the different angles. And because it's like, oh, the pH is dropping because these microbes are doing this. You know what I mean? So I, I'm, I'm so excited. And again, there's going to be this, this time frame where I'm going to be like, send me your samples especially after we start applying all this in next spring when we all got hot compost going or Johnson Sioux set up. And again, it's Johnson Sioux. So a year from now or a year from then, we're going to do it all over again and, and gather this data and put it up in our group, talk about it, explore it because raw data must be discussed and explored. It's like a really good Shakespeare, you know what I mean? Where you can't just be like, oh yeah, it's that. No, no, no. We got to go over it. We got to talk about it. It's like, yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm excited about this. Um, so, so yeah, to go back to your question, gather the soil samples from multiple areas, combine them in a bucket, take the, the conglomerate soil sample from the bucket, give them that. That way you cover the whole area. And then if you have a trace amount, you're like, that could be a concentrated area and the rest of the areas have washed out or, or it's just simply all over everything in slight amounts or it's modeled. We don't know. Um, 
So when we do it that way, right? You can't know that way, but it allows you to cheaply test and, and, and to know. So uh, yeah, yeah, I think that's the best way to put it. Uh, next, how does dialectic remediation work on the fundamental level, basic scientific description of what's going on? Dialectic barrier discharge. Um, well, I'm not a, a physics major, um, but what's going on is they're breaking the bonds um, of, of all of the compounds. So they're breaking the bonds of all the compounds. Um, and that makes sense that the, it takes a lot of energy, right, to form and break certain things. That makes sense. Um, but it, it's something that there, there's, there's a lot of like papers on it. Um, and it's just expensive because it takes so much energy and you've got to take the soil like physically and like filter it, like put it through a hopper or like, and, and shock it or do it in batches. So the way they have it set up right now is difficult. Um, but remediation is often like this. We're, we're, we're digging up the whole lot and carting it all away to someplace and dealing with it. So it, it makes sense in that context to be like running it through like a, a filter that shocks it with a high voltage um, and, and it's breaking these bonds. But like on the quantum level, on, on an individual basis, I know it's 30 minutes to six hours depending on the level of problem. Um, I don't know who breaks up at which point in that. And the, the papers are all in the references, though, in the reference section of the book. And so that's all there for you, for you to check out and chew on. Um, but I mean, I guess that is a basic scientific description. It's breaking the bonds because it's operating at a higher level than the bonds um, have in their, in their relationship. But, but yeah, yeah, I don't know uh, deeper than that. All right, next, if there is a limited, if, if there is limited funds for testing and we have no prior knowledge of the land, what toxicities, pesticides, pollutants are the most common for the US West Coast Roundup? And then DDT and lead-based stuff. And copper, copper, lead, um, I mean, like, they don't know where the lead's coming from in Sonoma, but it's in all the wine. That's why all the things have the warning on all the vinegars, California. It, there's a variety of things possible. Most likely is that it's in the watersheds. It's in the water cycle, in the air, and the rain, and the water. Um, or it was part of a pesticide or it was sprayed from above. They've done this several times in, in, in San Francisco and other uh, California cities where they're like, they're basically like crop dusting the population. So um, there's a lot of op uh, uh, options there. So I, I would say the protocols though are all pretty similar as we talked about this week and you could be turning things into foliar sprays. You can be turning things into soil soaks. 
that would address all these things. Um, remember the fish emulsion, the bone meal, uh, the EM, all these, these solutions are so powerful and they cover a broad spectrum of things. But again, yeah, I know that there are certain types that require very specific recipes as well. It had been mentioned about training compost to break down microplastics. What would, would adding small amounts of plastics to a compost pile push the populations toward digesting microbes? Yes. Yes, absolutely. And the reason we know this is they buried plastic and then they dug it up a few years later and it was being eaten. Uh, so we know that this is possible. If you had a point source of an unknown contaminant is a range of how far most contaminants listed in the books would spread in the soil. In other words, if something was spilled, what is the upper and lower limit on how far it would spread from that location? Depends. If you've got mycelium, they might be carrying that inadvertently everywhere. And same thing with the microbes. Um, yeah, uh, I would do it right at the point of contamination and then I would do it um, like 10 feet past where, where it was. Um, and I would use that as a benchmark for how far it's spreading and how um, concentration of that spread. For testing, is there a recommended most effective sampling location pattern to test for contaminants? Yeah, grid pattern. Um, and it really depends on what you can afford uh, and, and how big your site is. Yeah, grid patterns of 10 foot increments, that's great for a suburb. 100 foot increments, that's great for uh, a, like, you know, a farm. Yeah, no, it's just simple grid, like a point point grid is what they do. Um, for testing, if you mix more many more core samples across property, only one core is a contaminant, is there a concern of diluting the polluted core? Yes, yes, like I talked about earlier. It, that's why we have to keep our thinking caps on when we look at this. Um, and an example, if you had 10 parts per million of contaminant in a core and 20 cores total with the resulting mixed soil contaminant part may be too, too, too low to detect from the test. I want to say no, but I mean, there has to be a threshold for that too, right? So I would take all your numbers and potentially times them by the amount of cores that you get to create a error rate potential error rate. They do that all the time in science. So you, you can feel free to do that. And, and you, you've got this instinct already. And it's absolutely a, a very uh, proven to be wise scientific notion. So you, your instincts are, are spot on. Are there any particular contaminants, contaminants uh, testing that is more likely to happen? Um, I mean, yeah, they test for certain things more than others. I don't think most tests have like uranium or plutonium. 
you know, those kinds of things on them, chromium. Um, I think a lot of water tests have more points than some soil tests do. If you use phyto extraction with plants or mushrooms, what do you do with the contaminated material? Is it considered hazardous waste? It is. So there's a variety of things you can do. So you can be composting them and trying to make them inert that way. You can be, so the, let's go to the extreme. Let's say you phyto extracted uranium. Well, you're going to do probably what Paul Stamets recommended, which is burn it to ash. And now you have radioactive ash and then store that radioactive ash because it's radioactive with the uranium. Um, and I know that's not a very satisfying solution. I have not studied nuclear waste other than to, enough to know that it's incredibly complicated. Um, I mean, okay. I studied nuclear waste more extensively 15 years ago. And it was at that point that we were making storage facilities in hollowed out mountains in containers that would only last 15 to 20 years and then would degrade and we would need new containers for all of the waste. So that's kind of like, you know, where we're at. But then on top of it, um, there's this, well, in tandem with it, I should say, there's this hope that thorium can be used to turn it all into inert ash. So uranium, plutonium waste um, can be partnered with thorium to create a more thorough burn of the radioactive material into a, uh, inert or more inert ash. This is the green nuke conversation that's popped up and gone away, popped up and then gone away, popped up and gone over and over again for the past 20 years. I don't know. I don't know. Um, like I said, that's all the like deep physics. Um, I, I never, I never, you know, finished calculus. Huh. Um, and, and so I, and, and maybe I don't have the acuity that like John Kemp has to teach myself um, nuclear physics. Um, somehow I feel like if you taught yourself on your own nuclear physics, you might end up on a list somewhere. Just a theory I have. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't, I, all right. So to take it down to, uh, a more pragmatic level, perhaps let's say you're doing a phyto extraction with plants and mushrooms, you're phyto extracting something that's at low enough concentrations that you feel confident you can actually take care of it on site. In that case, I would be using the compost as like a controlled remediation site. So we're adding the biochar to it. We're adding the smectite or uh, illet um, clay we're at, or, or mafen stone, um, you know, as a, as a rock dust. Maybe we're, well, we're definitely adding in the fish emulsion, the bone meal, all the things that we know, maybe you're adding in some iron sulfate 
or things that you know that, that they're going to bond with things, things that you know that are going to feed the microbes. Remember, um, it's that, it's these elements that combine to make things inert. And it's these microbes that can transform things. So if we have both of those in situ, that's what I would be doing with it. And then I would be testing that. And from there, I'd be deciding what to do with it. You might dilute it, taking that now more inert, maybe not perfectly inert, but more inert, and then spreading it under the timber trees or the areas where you're, you're making um, pollards so that that stick, those sticks and those trees, all that can slowly incorporate and embody that concentrated, maybe broken down somewhat, maybe adsorbed, maybe transformed into their, their bodies for a long-term sequestration and another pathway for them to be cycled that's more diluted. So that, 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 that's what I, I, I see there as, as either side of that. Um, I know I got a little extreme with like talking about nuclear waste, but we do talk about that in the course. And I think that we need to, especially because I have students that are university professors, students that are policymakers. I have, I have students from every walk, walk of life. It's really important to give that broad answer uh, both sides of the spectrum. Can you explain how Kind Harvest works as a social network? And what would you recommend for a homesteader versus a farmer to engage with on that platform? Thanks for getting the interviews with everyone really profound. Oh, I'm so glad. Um, Kind Harvest is a place for farmers and um, it is much, I mean, if you like John Kemp's work, it's a perfect place to be. If you're like, oh, I don't want inputs. I want to make it all DIY. It might be a harder place to be. I don't know. About, uh, from what I see, it's much. It's, it's aligned with, with John's teaching and that style of agriculture and farming. I guess this involves soil on an education level, but can you set up a list or archive of your sources you're talking about in the class? Yep. In the back of the book, it's under resources. Everything, all the citations for all the things are there. Um, example, maybe a list of books you suggest or your reading list also links to podcasts that you speak of and classes with explanation of, Hey, this is beginner. This is more difficult. Classes with the explanation of, Hey, this is beginner. This too, this is more difficult. Um, I don't, I don't get that. Um, I've tried to, in this course, lead us through all the different stages, um, of comprehension so that we could start as a beginner. And now we could be leaving this um, experience, being able to handle the more difficult things. Thanks, I enjoy your teaching style. It's very impressive and light, yet so deep and involved. Oh, you're so welcome, I'm so glad. Um, I wish I understood that last bit a little bit more um, so I can answer your question better. The interviewee from Singing Frogs Farm suggested planting green cover to nearly eliminate bare soil. You had mentioned that crowding plants may negatively impact the soil. Is there a general rule of thumb regarding how close the mature edges of a crop 
can be to provide a green cover yet not negatively impact the soil, e.g. touching, overlapping no more than one inch, and just not touching by at least one inch, et cetera. Um, again, this is hard because of the way we plant. Unless we're like mechanizing it, we're going to have things too close together. We're going to have maybe a, an odd bare patch here and there, not a bare patch or like an open space um, or a lighter space. But yeah, cover crops, the way we apply them, we might need to be a little bit more sparing with our cover crops so that they have enough room so that they can do more benefit for the soil than it is to cover. Because all right, so we're covering the soil to retain more moisture, right? But then if we don't give them enough room, they don't grow mature and don't do what they need to do as plants. Uh, so, so I really think that it depends on the plant type. And ideally, you know, you would want there to be this, the soil to be as shaded as much as possible and the every leaf to have as much light as possible. And so that's going to look different for different plants in different situations. Um, your plants taller, uh, there's going to be times of day or planting styles or positioning that's going to make it so there could be overlapping and um, it really depends, but just aim for the most light on the most parts of the plant. And then uh, you had mentioned before that an individual, I thought it might be one of the per initial permaculture developers, had added too much magnesium to their soil, tightening it up. Did not recall their name. Could you remind me of that? Yeah, David Holmgren, co-creator of the concept of permaculture. He's following the Albrecht uh, perspective and uh, just ruined his soil. And he's still working on it um, to this day. So yeah, I really appreciate him and I appreciate him being so candid about it. I appreciate him reviewing this book, saying that it is the book that he will be using from now on, uh, which is so wild. And permaculture got me started on all this. Now to be in this niche and to, to be recognized by him is, is indeed a, a deep honor. Thank you all for being here. Let me pull up our, our, our Zoom here. All right. Why isn't organic alfalfa called organi organic? Um, oh, you mean why would, it, why would a farmer uh, in a more conservative area issue the word organic over just natural? Because they've always done it that way. And so when the term organic came, it was political football and they changed their different methods that charge money for it. Um, He's like, I never had to do it any different. I never had to get a certification to do that way. And and I don't know what you guys are trying to pull, but you know what I mean? Like older farmers, it's like, you know, um, they're going to buy into that. Is there a format for our plans? Yes. Next week, Leslie, we will be going over the holistic soil management plan and the soil mineral plan. So there's two holistic uh, grids that we'll be going over, but we'll be covering a lot more information as well.
Okay. I am trying to create what I think of a nutrient-rich quick de decomposition mulch. I gather what I have, try to chop as much as I can, apply an EM solution, cover for about a week, and then spread around the plants. Does this make sense uh, as a mulch making process? That's a brilliant process. That's a great way to, to make it so that the, the, the mulch, when you're bringing it to the plants, is not going through its stages. It's already in decomposition. I love it. Beautiful, brilliant. Thank you all for being here. Next week is our, our final week. We might have a follow-up Q&A. It all depends on how things go. Uh, I'm excited for our group to, to dive into our plans and share our plans in our private network, our social network, The Circle. And yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. I can't wait to read all your plans and give you feedback. I'm Matt Powers, grow abundantly, learn daily, and live regeneratively, and I'll see you soon.